0: Hey friends, so it's Lacey and Drew here and we are going to talk all about planning your garden today and I can't wait because this is my favorite thing to talk about, especially when it's cold and I can't be in my garden. So um, I hope that you sit back or drive or do your chore, whatever you're doing while you're listening and enjoy some of the tidbits that we have to share from the years that we've been doing this game of gardening. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life and our I Bought a Homestead Now What podcast. I'm Lacey. And I'm Drew homestead health and business strategist. And between us, we have nearly 40 years experience in homesteading, parenting, and holistic living. We love helping people live more sufficient, deeply rooted, and satisfyingly connected lives.
1: Two to three times per month, we post a new podcast on Wednesdays that will inspire, ease, and answer questions about this lifestyle you may not even know to ask.
0: People and homestead strategy clients ask us all the time how, why, and what to do to make their homestead less chaotic more efficient, and mostly more peaceful. The lessons we've learned, the training we've had, and our strategic approach will help you skip steps and find more ease in your homesteading journey.
1: Did you hear something you like? Did you learn something new? Please share with a friend or on social. Tag us at The Schoolhouse Life and we will be thrilled to share and connect. Your shares, encouragement, and even questions are what keep us going. Thank you. Hey, if you're
0: on YouTube, then you notice that we probably look at the angle. I do not like this angle at all. Just for the record, if you've looked at our YouTube channel, it's an embarrassing situation where, you know, we do it for the people who watch YouTube. But I, hi, guys. I don't even, whatever. Amber, Terry. (laughs) our faithful YouTube (laughs) followers. Um, And anyway, they're going to be excited to talk about gardening because both those ladies love to. So anyway. Um, if you're listening, then you don't have to think about any of that and you can just enjoy this, the lull of our voices while we talk about gardening, um, and we'll try to keep it brief, but I don't know. I I don't want to limit us because gardening is pretty intense and, um, yeah, let's jump into it. Let's jump in, dive right in. Okay. So if you've never gardened before, um, I want you to feel just relaxed because I think like I do a lot of things where I've been. You know, people are like, oh, how do I get started? It's like, I don't know. It's been 20 years since I started. I don't remember what I did when I started. And then I'm like, oh, no, all I did was one thing. All I did was two things. All You know, like I picked off one little thing and started. And I think when we started gardening, that's exactly what happened. We actually um, lived in an apartment and became obsessed with plants. We bought herb books and um, gardening books. And we started planting just in the pots on the patio, the stoop. On the
1: stoop. Yeah, we knew we liked tomatoes. We knew we liked herbs. Mm -hmm. We knew we liked salsa. So I feel like I if I remember correctly, I feel like that's what we kind of aimed for first, was like could we make a salsa garden? Could we make our own bowl of salsa from our own garden?
0: And I remember the very first gardening lesson. One was plant only what you like. Because we grew a pear tomato, one of those yellow pears, like a cherry tomato that's like shaped like a pear. And we have billions of them and they were disgusting. I hate them. I don't like them at all. Yeah. So <laughs> we learned we're not going to grow those again, um, which I think is really key. I think a lot of people are like, I got to plant one of everything. Um, and you really just want to focus on the things that you like the most, I think. Um, don't don't grow stuff for the sake of growing it, grow it for the sake of using it. And then you'll, you know, from year to year, then you have this potential too, to save seeds and keep going down the line and. Continue to have the same things and know what you like better. And anyway, but yeah, turns out we don't like pear tomatoes. If you do, then grow some because they grow prolifically. Um, and and they grow really well in a pot. So there you go. I think that that we to maximize space, we got uh, window pots like like a window box, rectangular rectangular shaped boxes that lined the steps to our apartment, which was actually a downstairs apartment in um Asheville and you know it was our first year of growing and then i happened to get pregnant that year and then we moved to greensboro area and our first place that we lived there was a uh townhome so we had like a i don't know 12 or 15 by 15 it was back ten, patio 10 by 10 it had to be bigger than no, that
1: no i remember 10 really? by 10, ten, by ten. Yeah.
0: okay so on that back stoop we we got all the pots that we could get our hands on and it didn't fit there and then we grew in that situation.
1: And one of the lessons we got there was to grow vertical because obviously we didn't mm. have much space. So we a, you literally put little, the whole 10 by 10 pad was concrete. Mm-hmm. So we put like little window boxes all along the fence and grew. Oh, with all,
0: lines up yeah, on nails. We hammered into because it had a wooden fence. A wooden, yeah, privacy fence all the way around. So we just put nails in that and grew up. Um, and this is when we were really learning about, okay, where's the sun hitting the best? And... And the cool thing about this is we were renting um, and we had this baby and and then we're like, you know, let's buy something. And so we started shopping around for houses um, on a very limited budget. So we had very limited options, but we knew that we wanted a backyard garden. So all the properties we looked at, there were a few that we looked at that didn't, but there were several that we looked at that that had a backyard fenced in and there was sun. And so not... Not all trees, because there's so many great houses in our area. Greensboro is called Greensboro because it's green, I guess. Known for its
1: trees. I don't Not know. because of Nathaniel Green.
0: N- oh, no, no, it's because of him. I think they tried to make it like a double entendre, right? Like, a Yeah, because yeah, now they're like, it's a city of trees or something is what they're. And most of the neighborhoods, the old established neighborhoods have amazing trees in Greensboro. Anyway, so we found a, a neighborhood that had one apple tree in the yard. Uh, and there were some tra- trees in neighboring yards that were um, blocking some sun, but not all of it. So we picked our first home uh, that we purchased because of the it was on a quarter of an acre and it was it had sun.
1: Yeah, our real estate agent thought we were nuts because we would literally show up and be like, "Okay, house looks good. What's the yard look like?" And <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like
0: well, we we I think we knew you know we could change the house if we wanted to you know and this house definitely. I mean, every house we bought is a fixer upper. We had, <laughs> yeah to buy a move in ready house, um but that one was gross, and so we had to pull everything out and and we knew that, but that made us get a better price and um yeah, and the yard was what we needed and wanted to start with. so I think you know before you even get started, you you might want to think about like, is your property conducive to growing, and where on your property is you know like that that's really important. You don't want to just grow in a place because, um. There's a big patch of grass. You need to look around and see how does the sun hit this patch of grass? Is this patch of grass directly behind the house? Because, and is the house south-facing or is it north-facing? And Because if you're on the north side of your house, you will not be able to grow tomatoes there, generally. It'll be
1: very hard. It,
0: yeah, it'll be really, because it'll just not get enough sunlight. Unless you're in the
1: southern hemisphere.
0: And, you know, I can use, like, my sister as an example. She lives in a neighborhood, and she has yard but the fenced-in part of it is where they wanted their garden, so they started it there. But if you look in that spot, there's already like moss growing there, yeah, because and no grass. So they're like, "Oh, perfect place for a garden because it's you know we won't need to weed and there won't be any grasses competing. The grass isn't growing there because it can't." So you then they just moved it until actually they put it in their driveway or near their driveway next yeah. to their driveway, which I actually highly recommend for several reasons. Um, if you have a paved driveway. Um, but even if it's just a parking pad or or gravel driveway, whatever you get in and out of your car there all the time. And so it's in this really great place where you're going to be near your garden coming in, going out every time you leave, you're going to see it and walk through it. Right. So you're kind of forcing your hand there. Um, and also if you have a, any kind of pavement, then it has this thermal mass that you can use to kind of enhance. You might be able to take your zone a seven, a to a seven B just by being right there. on that near that, um, that patio and also near your house. So on the south side of your house, your house also has thermal mass and can reflect back um, onto your garden in a really um, helpful way to conducive to growing. So those are some things when you're planning and thinking about where to put your garden, um, be looking at your property and say, okay, what's already here? And then also what is the day-to-day activity? What do I do? What are my habits? Um, because you want your garden to be an extension of your home. You don't want it to be, this is my house, and then there's my garden over there in the far corner, which we see people do a lot.
1: I think it's an important like step also to decide like, are you growing a market garden or mm-hmm. are you growing, I don't know, what you would call it, like a sustenance garden or like a, a garden for yourself because those are two separate things. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna be using machinery and tillers and harvesters and all of those things. Then you know you're looking at like a few acres of garden that needs to be set up in a completely different way. If this
0: is your first year, you should not be doing that.
1: No, there should be no tillers involved. Honestly, well, I mean, if you, are yeah, I mean, but I think there's a a differentiation that needs Mm -hmm. to be made between market gardening as a business and growing a garden on the homestead. One,
0: I think, too, you know, a lot of times people talk to us and they're like, "Okay, I bought a tiller. Where do I use it?" And it's like, "Okay, slow, 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 slow." So first of all, you want to create a space. Generally, most people what they what they note and like about gardeners who do who are successful or who are have done it for a really long time is how interactive their garden is and how it's sort of a part of their house and um, their natural um, activity. Um, while market gardens are cool and and they're like looking, at, it's like a big agricultural system. You go to it and it is its own thing. Somebody shows up there to work every day. They don't do it as a part of their household their whole life existence. It's not a right.
1: Yeah. It's a business, right? The it's a business. Garden is yeah. A it's business. like they're
0: showing up at the office when they go to a market garden. So you really want to think about how different that is from what you might want, which, you know, most people we talk to are more homesteader level and they're really wanting a garden to sustain their families. And if they're surplus, then maybe they'll sell that. Um, and that I think is a good, uh, a good a good way to go a good way to start anyways and then if you discover that you have this affinity for gardening and you want to grow a market garden and shoot you can expand but but on our quarter of an acre just to take that back we were there for seven years we kept growing putting in more garden beds so i think eventually we probably had about i don't know 800 square feet of garden
1: it wasn't yeah, a ton it was probably like maybe 20 by 20 20 mm-hmm. by 30 something like
0: that and then we had a small a very small greenhouse like a, a 5 by 10 greenhouse. Um, and when I say greenhouse, I mean like a, you know, a starter, not a not heated. Um, and in that space, we were able to sell at farmers markets our over. It wasn't like enough to pay the bills or anything, but we had excess and we could sell plants and we could sell veggies. So um,
1: We mostly did that because it was fun and we had extra.
0: Yeah, not, we had extra.
1: Not because it was... It wasn't
0: our goal, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it
1: was what was... It was the overage. At that point, it was fun to go to farmers markets. We had... One kid at the time.
0: We had honey, we had eggs, and we had plants. And that was all on that quarter of acre. So just a reminder, you know, we have a big property now, and I've talked about this on the podcast a lot before, but that it's almost harder to manage, you know, a garden on a large acreage than it is on a small acreage. So if you have a small acreage, I'm somewhat envious of gardening on that because it's easier to define those lines. It's easier to set boundaries. It's easier to know. And we knew too, we had small children at the time. So we had to have some grass, we didn't want to take over the whole space with gardens because we wanted to have room for them to ride their little bikes around and have a swing set and all of those things, too. So, um, you know, keep in mind the livability of your your space.
1: I think it would be a good practice. Like when you're starting out this first year gardening, map out where your garden's going to go. You know, pick that south side, pick it right up against the house mm. and then whatever size you decide, cut it in half. And that's what mm. you can do this year. And really restrict yourself that way. And what that's gonna do is um cause you to grow very intensively mm-hmm. and to make harder decisions on a on a smaller scale than having a massive garden where you've spread out all over the place. And now you're fighting weed pressure, pest pressure, um mm-hmm. and your design's not as strong. So no che- no cheating, no doubling so that you come back down to your half, but you know. Um I think it, and then the other thing that I think is really important is if you're gardening with a spouse or partner or you know whoever it is whoever's making decisions with you you need to be on the same page with that um with those decisions or you need to just release control to one person <laughs> or the other but <laughs> somebody needs to you need to be making those decisions and agreeing on things during the planning stage so that when spring comes you're not you know, still trying to decide where something's going to go, but you have a good plan laid out already. Mm -hmm. And it's a fun time to dream this time of year when it's freezing cold to, like, be looking out the window or bundle up and go out there and take a little bit of, like, landscape spray paint and draw out some lines of where you want things and kind of look at it and how small of a plant are you going to start with and how big is that plant going to get? And, you know, draw those circles on the ground so you can kind of start visualizing what's it going to look like.
0: Mm. And, you know, starting a garden bed. So I mentioned no tillers So we are pretty firm believers that tilling is just not really generally the best or only solution. And I think that, you know, traditionally in gardening that has become a norm to hoe or till the, to the, the area, turn over the soil. And while there's, you know, I almost said there's nothing wrong. There is kind of something wrong with that because you release this fertility. What we'll see is a lot of times people in their first year of gardening will have tremendous success because they're immediately using up that initial thing that they've turned over in the soil, all that fertility that's just below the surface. Um, But then it rains and it erodes and it washes away. And the next year it's not as successful and more pests come in. And then it just kind of progressively gets less and less fertile and less and less productive. So the best real scenario that you can do is um, to sort of layer, and and they call it, I think, the lasagna method. And and one of the best things you can do is to right now at this time of year when it's cold and dark and rainy uh, or snowy even, is to get some cardboard and layer that onto the area that you want to have as your garden bed. Now, whether you intend to create a raised bed or not, this is still a really good practice. That that, um, layer of cardboard, which is, really by all and for all intents and purposes, mulch you're mulching that space um and you're also creating this really diverse ecosystem underneath the cardboard as soon as you've done this you know within a week you'll probably start to see activity of worms and other kinds of critters that are coming in to decay that um that that mulch layer and create fertility right there at the surface and it also will kill the grass there because you're going to suffocate it out. So any weeds or any um, thing that is growing right there can germinate because it'll get warmer and under that cardboard, and then it will die because it doesn't have um, oxygen and, and sun. Um, so that is a really great way to build that first garden bed, to just map it out, even like Drew said, mark it out with the paint and then lay that cardboard out on, right on top of it. Um Another great tool that we use frequently is uh tarping. Um we'll get we use our giant silage tarp which I don't even know how how big is that thing.
1: It's 100 by 50.
0: Yeah, it's stupid big. Um you can get a smaller get one exactly the size you want to do your garden bed and then just lay it out and let it lay there through the and, and be solarized it'll um again sprout the seeds that are under there they'll get warm they'll sprout and then they'll die. Um
1: It's ideal like with the silage tarp, I feel like you really almost want to leave it in the spot for like a year, though. like
0: I don't think that's necessary. I think one the main goal of it is to really trick those those seeds that are under there to germinate to germinate. and then one of the things I noticed recently is I had to actually put out some poppy seeds already because you're supposed to you really should put those out in the fall. Um so I put those out right in front of an area where there was the the, the silage tarp, and then Drew took the silage tarp tarp. And I noticed that where I had sprinkled some of the poppy seeds, the tarp had gone over some of that area. And some, a lot of those seeds had sprouted. And, of course, then you move a silage tarp, and those poppies were all dead. <laughs> so it yeah. was like this hack of, like, let's get them to sprout, move the silage tarp, and then all of that stuff cannot survive.
1: I know in the summer what mm-hmm. I like to do is lay out the silage tarp, mm-hmm. let all the grass die, then pull it up, let everything sprout, and then put it back down. And then down, put it back down. Yeah. And that'll, In North Carolina, the heat from that, I mean, you can, it feels like a convection oven under there and it will literally just burn up all the sprouts, which is ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can, I know some no-till practices like, you know, the going by the book, that's what they do to um, eliminate the seed bed. Because as long as you don't disturb that soil, all the seeds on that surface will sprout. And then if you can kill all those, Mm -hmm. nothing else is showing up. But that's a, that's a big game. To play in the no till world.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so you have some options. I think we all kind of think, oh, let's turn it over. But what you'll also notice too is you'll have, you'll turn over when you turn over and you till that ground, you do up, up, bring up a lot of the seed um, that's lying underneath the soil. And that'll all start to sprout midsummer as well. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even. I can't, weed anything it's just too much. And especially in our zone, it it is. And, you know, come July or August, that can be completely unmanageable. Um, So this, what I love about the cardboard method is, so I've done this several times. And if I do it right and at the right time, it's a very successful way to create a bed that, while it doesn't have a ton of fertility, it's really easy to get a hole in the ground through the mulch layer, usually I put on top, and then through the cardboard, layer, and then into that soil underneath. And usually we'll plug in some kind of a um, a fertilizer, fertilized soil, and then plant in that and grow from there. And we had a lot of success doing this uh, with sweet potatoes last year.
1: Yeah, I think the realization came was, I, I've seen, we've tried different methods on this, but the realization came that the layer of the grass or the weeds that's growing in the soil is the layer where the soil is still alive. That's where the grass was just photosynthesizing and feeding that soil. So if we built on top of it with the mulch, but didn't make it down to that soil level, we weren't essentially like tapping into or accessing that fertility, the alive soil. And we were waiting for the plants then to kind of create their own photosynthetic synthetic activity Mm -hmm. in the new soil that we planted above that soil of that like above the cardboard but if you dug down through the mulch through Mm -hmm. the cardboard all the layers and actually tapped into that soil you kind of got to skip that step and you can see that a lot with transplants you'll see that they're waiting kind of for a while and then all of a sudden they take off that's when they that's when the activity in the soil becomes alive in the the plants feeding the soil and the soil is feeding the plant and all that's happening. But mm-hmm. until that happens, you kind of have this delay and, um, it did work really good with the sweet potatoes by skipping that and actually getting down the downside or the challenge that I was afraid of was that by doing that, we would, um, open up the grass to grow up through there, which has had, which has happened previous times, but, um, We actually put the slips all the way down into the soil and then mulched really heavy around Mm -hmm. it. So, And then for the first little bit, every time a little weed poked its head, I would just pull it out. But the sweet potatoes are so vigorous that they didn't allow Mm -hmm. anything else to grow up through there.
0: The other thing about doing it this way is no matter where you are, you know, it can be really difficult to know what the soil quality is you know, unless you have been on the same property for generations, it's really hard to know what has happened on that ground. You know, like there are areas of our grass that don't grow because somebody clearly put like poured, I don't know, paint or paint thinner or something on the ground. And, you know, it's really difficult to know all the things your soil has been through. Who who knows your last, the person in the home had, could have used Roundup everywhere, or um, it could have been a tobacco field before, and it's just deplete, complete of nutrition or Um, if, you know, if you're in a new neighborhood, then all the topsoil is completely gone and you're just like on a bed of clay and maybe there's a layer of turf on top of that from the sod they put in, you know? So you're really just, when you do this, when you build up, then you actually are taking back a little bit of the opportunity to increase the fertility and have some say over what is actually feeding the plants that you're growing. And it, it matters. It definitely matters what, you know, Anything you grow is obviously going to be better than what you might get at the grocery store. But you also want to start thinking about the chemicals and the exposure that you're bringing to the the plants that you're growing as well. And uh, especially if you're new and you haven't had a garden before, um, then you're starting kind of from the ground up, literally. And you need to, to try to do your best to enhance and um and I mean, really regenerate that soil in a way that makes it fertile. I mean, when our ancestors first got here, when the, the Native Americans were living here only, the topsoil was maybe six feet deep. I mean, you know, it was like an incredible layer of fertility. And that's all but gone now. So we need to set our expectations on, okay, I'm going to have to heal this land. That's kind of the the goal of, of farming in general, in my opinion, and Drew's opinion. And one of the things that draws us to it is our um ability to enhance it. So, you know, even when we sold the other property that we started at, you know, we knew leaving we'd left it better than when we found it. Um, so hopefully that's one of your goals as well. But when you do garden this way, when you layer up and you add in the things, then you're really taking kind of control there instead of just relying on what might be there. Um, of course it's exciting to see that you can turn over dirt and a plant will grow, but do you want that plant to thrive? Do you want that ground to thrive? Do you want that plant to have create uh, nutritional something that's super super healthful and good for you. Um, and then additionally, one of the things I would suggest too is if it's a really new property um, or you know something has happened there, there are some tools you can use to help enhance the soil and kind of uh get rid of, eat out some of those those nasties. One of them is biochar. Biochar is a really great option for helping to absorb any toxicity that might be left in the ground. Um, another option is, um, fulvic acid. You can get this, um, I think you can buy it by the pound, but you could sprinkle this over the area as well. Um, both of these are pretty good at helping you remove heavy metals in particular and glyphosate. And sunflowers. And then you could also use plants to do this. So sunflowers would be a great option, particularly plants that you're not planning to eat. I've heard it said that kale is something recently, somebody told me they use kale to clean fields that have been tainted as well. So you have some options and kale is a really easy thing to broadcast and let grow. Um, and in this, it would be really a kind of a cover crop. Um, another tool that we've used a lot to help kind of break through clay soil um, and create more topsoil, we've planted daikon radishes a lot um, and left those in areas with compacted soil to grow and, and then let them rot even in place. So not planning to eat them, but planning to let them just create biomass there, um, sort of as a way of prepping the ground for us. And the the cool thing about those is you can put the seed out even now, and then it'll grow whenever it's, you know, capable. And that'll be really early in the season. Um, Kale also would grow pretty early in the season. So you could go ahead and start those things now. And then by the time it's time to get your tomatoes in the ground, those things can be just chopped and left, not. Not removed. Um, we very rarely will pull uh, the roots of a plant out. We'll chop it at the soil height uh, and then discard that in the compost. Um, but leaving the root system that's been created by your garden um, is a really great way to ensure that you're not disturbing the really beautiful symbiotic relationship between the nematodes and the, all the little guys that eat the sugars off the roots and create fertility in the ground. Um, so anyway, that's something that you just want to replicate. You really want to kind of, how can you create that in a garden bed to, to enhance the fertility and the ability when you have a nice loamy soil, it's because there's all these tiny, tiny little webs of roots in there. Uh, and it's not compacted because of all of that plant activity. Um, so that's what we really want to keep. We don't want to get rid of that. Uh, and the second you till you kill all those plants and all those roots die and then it, and it has this opportunity to become more compacted in the end
1: and also the plant science shows that when you put a new plant in there it can actually access those uh old roots and um all the like nutritional or active sugars materials and and all of that of the old root system can be drawn into the new root system so it kind of again gives your plant like a fast forward or you know like a head start Mm -hmm. instead of like ripping all that out now the whole soil structure has to start over. The other thing I wanted to mention, though, we've been kind of talking about annuals, but I think that it's important to like, especially on the homestead garden, to really consider your perennials and the fact that like, uh, especially when you're just getting started, mm-hmm. this year might be the year that you really lean heavy or should be the year that you really lean heavy on the perennials and putting some anchor plants in and then filling in the gaps with annuals. So, you know, depending on what your budget is, kind of think about where you want perennials, then um, almost like in a circle around them, Mm -hmm. start thinking about, go back and listen to our podcast about guilds. It explains it in more detail, but, you know, start thinking about, you know, how can you have these perennials getting established while you're also working on your annual garden at the same Mm -hmm. time?
0: Yeah, we had a whole series of permaculture planning, um, and I think there's five four or five episodes. Uh, it was last year or the year before, I'm not sure, but it was a I think a really more in-depth overview of how to map out your property in terms of um where the best kinds of placement is and how to make it the most um, I don't know, user-friendly, you know, really personalizing it and making it unique to your specific needs. Um but and then let's move on to just talking in brief about plant starting. Uh so Drew mentioned Perennials. I think one of the things that I would encourage newbies to do, especially perennials, of course, to start they can be pretty expensive. Is start small. Buy the smallest perennials you can, and keep them in pots until you really know where they're going to go. You're just going to have to really nurture them in those pots. You know, you have to water them, and you have to make sure they're taken care of. But you can keep, you know, a tree or a blueberry in a pot for several seasons uh, until you really know where you want that to go. And you can even you can even move the pot so that you get a better feel for where you want it to be within the context of your, your garden map. Um, So, you know, if you're feeling like, Oh, I can't really commit to that, then just plan to have these perennials in your starting small in a more affordable way. You know, a smaller one gallon blueberry is way less expensive than a five gallon blueberry. Uh, The same is true of trees. You can get a lot of Arbor Day plants for very inexpensive um, and that you'll get like a stick, and you stick that in your pot, and let that grow until it's substantial enough to put it in the ground. But there's a lot of ways to cut costs that way, and go ahead and start building that. Um, what do we? I don't know, like a food forest situation um, before you even know right where you want it to go. But if you're into plants, then I and growing a garden, one of the most satisfying ways to do that, as we've said a lot on the podcast, is to have it growing without a lot of input every year that th- those non-annuals are something i would definitely encourage you to focus on um and there's ways to do ways to do that even if you're in an apartment or you know a condo or whatever i think we started our prickly pear it did get stolen though. but know. <laughs> when we were in an apartment um so i mean there's a lot of things that you can do in a pot on the patio
1: well and you can do guilds even in a pot i mm-hmm. mean there's yeah it's, oh yeah, an
0: herb guild. Yeah, yeah. herb guild or like a fruit
1: tree guild. Fruit like trees, if you did a yeah. citrus. Yeah, it, yeah, that's true. I would, I would encourage you. I think like the point of this is for one, get started. Mm-hmm. Two, plant it. Three, keep it really small mm-hmm. and keep it really close to your house. And like really close to your house. really close. Like when you take a step out of your back door, you should be in your garden.
0: I think start small is like, it's really difficult. Okay, so start talking about seed starting. You get a packet of seeds, you know, maybe it's broccoli, and there's like 300 seeds in there. And you're like, why wouldn't I start every single one of these? So you have an entire tray of 48 to 72 plants of broccoli. You don't need that many, (laughs) you know. So it's really hard to rein it in. I think when you're starting your seeds, you really want to think about, um, okay, you have... If you had 72 plants, which is, you know, a normal
1: right. this
0: tray is yeah. 72, right? Yeah. It might be 144. Depends on the tray. Depends on the tray. Either way, 72 to 144, that's a heck of a lot of plants. And so, what if you just fill one seed tray and you really nurture all those seeds? And so, you have maybe eight tomatoes and eight, I don't know, okra, eight eggplant, eight cucumbers, just whatever you're going to start, really plan to just do. Eight and, and this is really hard, and it's really hard I feel for like,
1: me. For me, I'm always like, "Well, what if some of them die? Then I'll have extras." And then, but then Lacey comes in and she's like, "I'm like, okay, well, I just want eight of these. I'm going to kill the rest." And then you're like, "Oh, I'm no. going to kill them." And then it's you're like potting a, up plants. It's you're like never a gonna broccoli use. genocide, and <laughs> then it's like, and, oh. and then Lacey's like, "Just put them somewhere. Uh, they <laughs> don't. It doesn't matter where they go. Just yeah, put them in the landscaping." True. And so, yeah, I think you're probably, I, I'm so torn. I, for me, if if
0: listen, if you if had, Lacey
1: let me do it totally by myself, I would grow a bunch and then kill all but eight. Yeah, I'm not good at that. So if you have 72
0: <laughs> plants, though, to nurture, they may not seem much in that tray. But by the time, especially if you're starting this early, I mean, I'm probably not going to start for another month if I can resist. Maybe not another month. We're getting close to February. So in February, I'll start doing something, I'm sure. But what you really want to do is just, how can I scale it back? Drew said cut it in half. I'm saying cut it in like one quarter or one eighth because it's so easy to plant a whole packet of seeds or even a half a pack of seeds. And it's just too many, Um, especially if you want diversity in your garden. If you're only going to plant cucumbers, then by all means plant the whole pack, but nobody's doing that. So really kind of harness your energy and focus because when you have, okay, say you're going to pot up 72 cucumbers that would take up my entire basement.
1: And you don't really need to plant cucumber seeds.
0: Well, you don't, but people do. So I'm just... because <laughs> That's saying, another
1: thing we should talk direct
0: about. Direct sow versus yeah. starting seeds. So, okay, let's talk about our the seeds that we do start. <laughs> Generally, are tomatoes.
1: This is a lengthy... <laughs>
0: I start perennial flowers. And, and so I start a bunch more perennials every year. And usually it's
1: herbs and flowers i would say i in my mind the rule is the smaller the seed the harder it is to get it to grow so disagree like a pumpkin you would direct so because that's a giant seed sunflower direct so because it's a giant seed carrot you would disagree. direct sow. I, I think carrots a big the seed opposite of sow.
0: what he's saying is true. <laughs> no there's really no like right or reason so generally why you would start a seed inside versus just waiting until they're like a tomato, the for The season example. extension. Yeah. So you could get more tomatoes out of a plant if you get it to start inside. And then by the time it's large enough and warm enough to go outside, then you have this head start of a plant. It's like a month-old plant it's instead like of a... like we
1: did last yeah. year with our tomatoes. We started them in late June mm-hmm. and got like six tomatoes <laughs> for the we whole did. year. We did. We started really late <laughs> last year.
0: But what I will say, though, is that when we... We I very rarely intentionally direct sow tomatoes. It's not something I do, but they do self-sow. And so a lot of times the best tomatoes we have in the garden are the ones that volunteer yeah. and they decided, you know, where to grow, when to grow, and they do a really good job of producing. So I think, you know, sometimes we want to have more control over the situation and that's why you would start seeds um, indoors. If you have a greenhouse outside, you know, we have a high tunnel, so we will use that a lot with our seeds starting and it can be a great tool. One of my favorite hacks or tricks, I will say that um, you can try. Well, first of all, we put a garden window in when we did a renovation on our house. So that I use mostly with a light. Because another thing that the seeds need is an extended period of light. So when it's dark, the seeds know. They're like, it's not enough light. I'm not going to sprout. It's not enough light. I'm not going to sprout. And they
1: need warm soil.
0: And they need, every seed has different things that it needs. Some, Some of them just need light. Some of them just need warmth. Some of them just need dampness. Um, some of them need to be stratified. Some of them need to be scarified. Some of them, you know, it just depends on the situation. Um, and every seed packet, if you buy seeds, generally it'll tell you what it needs and like how much light it needs, all of those things. But anyway, so we manipulate that by having a grow light, right? To extend that, that amount of sunlight. So right now you can grow a lot. In fact, Eliza, (laughs) my 13 year old has decided that she's growing tomatoes right now. Because she found some volunteers. She's been growing them
1: for like a month or two. (laughs) She found some
0: volunteers in the compost pile and was like, we can't just let these die. (laughs) So Her
1: her mother's heart.
0: (laughs) And, you know, of course, yeah, I was like, okay. So she took half a milk carton and filled it with dirt. And these tomatoes are growing inside the window. And I don't know what's going to happen. It's a disaster. The roots are completely filling. And she keeps watering it. I'm surprised they're not dead already. We're going to
1: have tomatoes soon
0: uh we'll see (laughs) anyways um but that's in our heated house so if they were in the high tunnel they'd be dead you know high tunnel doesn't add any heat um but anyway all that to say is that tomatoes are growing right now because they need the warmth it's not so much the daylight hours because it's the same amount of daylight hours through our window as it is outside they're not under a grow light um i'm not sure when they'll produce fruit but anyways (laughs) (laughs) the point is that everything needs something a little bit different but Uh, It's like when people put chickens in winter, they put a a light out with their chickens. You know, it's like fooling them into thinking it's spring. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're trying to do with these plants. Um, Direct sowing, though, on February 14th, the rule is you can plant your uh, sweet peas outside. So go ahead and sow those sweet peas outside. And the biggest threat for them is generally squirrels or birds eating the seeds. So you just want to, like, maybe put some netting over it if you want. Or
1: cats. Heard stupid cats under. in your yeah,
0: in the garden beds. Um and they do need something to climb. So you want to plan for that. So these are the things you want to think about. What do you want to grow? What are they gonna, what do they need to grow? Um, in terms of like, do they need a structure like that? Does it a squash may need something to grow on uh, to climb? Peas, beans, cucumbers all need something to climb. Um and if you, you know, if you're planting a pumpkin, you need to know that it's gonna. Sprawl everywhere, and you're going to need to have enough room for it to take over. You you wouldn't want to put a pumpkin in a in a ten by ten bed because that would be the whole bed. Be the whole bed, but you could let it trail out into the
1: or you could trellis grass. it, oh. or you
0: could trellis it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have some options. Um, but these are all you know considerations, and I think that you learn as you go. I I can't tell you how many mistakes. I mean, you know, we've now been doing it for twenty years, so plus years. Oh my goodness. Um, and you can't you know like you can't learn not doing it so go ahead and do it take some of these tips as your your like goals and number one is start small don't map out a 20 by 20 plot just to start or more which we've seen people do like 50 by 100 they're like oh look at that it's all in the sun and it's nice and flat and it's you one other thing is we didn't talk about this you do want it near the house you also really need to make sure you have your water source ironed out or you'll regret it um And even map out maybe some drip lines or a way that you don't have to water every day in July. Um, Because if you miss a day and everything withers and dies, it's going to be a huge disappointment. So um, really be thinking about the water and how you're going to get water to your garden. It's definitely crucial.
1: And I would like to end with be really kind with yourself on this journey and realize that what you see on Instagram is what... Is not real. The best of the best. The best of the best. I'm going to start an Instagram this year of just failures. garden failures. Ooh. Yeah. Because ultimately, nobody's showing you all the all the failures. Generally not. People say that, you know, wow, you guys have such a green thumb. It's because, yeah, I have a lot of black fingers behind that. I don't know. <laughs> we there's, failed. There's a lot of dead If only you plants. knew how
0: many dead plants there yeah. were as a result of my quote unquote green thumb. Yeah, yeah. no. I mean, I think that's the thing is. And maybe that's a good reason to start two trays instead of just one, right. <laughs> because then you leave room for those failures. Um, and then, I don't know, you can give plants to your friends, I guess.
1: But Or just kill them. They're no. just little
0: sprouts. <laughs> anyway, right. I hope this is helpful. A lot of you have been asking for this kind of information, and this is the most condensed version we could give you. Of course, we could expound, but... Um, We appreciate your questions. If you have any, please reach out. We would love to try to hit that nail on the head and help you if we can. Um, But we just really appreciate you listening. And if you know somebody who's starting a garden, has a garden, wants to improve their garden, please share this episode with them. Thanks.